In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today's parable can sound a little strange to us because we're not familiar with the wedding customs at the time of Christ. Essentially, what you need to know is that it was customary before the wedding banquet, which itself could go for a week. Uh, But it was customary that the groom and the bride's father would meet and negotiate the dowry that would be paid. A long negotiation was a compliment to the bride because it meant that she was a real treasure. Now, in the meantime, the guest, who we would probably uh, most associate in our mind as the bridal party, particularly the bridesmaids, they would wait outside of the feast and then uh, they would be welcomed in when the groom came. And these were likely young women who themselves were hoping would meet men at this wedding banquet who could become husbands in the future. So the image for us is that these young bridesmaids are waiting outside the feast in the dark, and none of them really know when the feast can begin. So some of them have lamps to burn to keep light outside while they wait. But not all the maids have enough oil that will last the night. And then others have likely spent too much time partying and celebrating the night before that they're already exhausted and they fall asleep while they wait. Then the groom finally arrives, and some of them will miss the chance to enter the wedding feast either because they had fallen asleep or because they were not prepared beforehand and now were scurrying around trying to get ready and end up missing their chance. Now, usually we compare this parable to an image of the end times. The message then is pretty, pretty simple. We're meant to spend our time on earth preparing for final judgment because we're not sure when death will come, so we always should be prepared. And that's a good message. And it's probably the message the church wants me to give you this weekend because she's put this gospel at the end of our liturgical year when we usually focus on death and judgment. But at the same time, I think there's a deeper meaning to the parable that we can tease out this morning. And that's that the Christian life really can't be boiled down to just getting ready to die. There's more to Christianity than that. There are a lot of other things in our life that will come up at unexpected times that we also have to be prepared to overcome. So in many ways, the parable is also giving us an image for overcoming our temptations to sin. The oil in the parable is a symbol for readiness. The young virgins thought ahead, and they prepared more than enough oil than they needed because none of them really knew how long they were going to be waiting. Better to be overprepared than to be caught off guard. Night is a symbol for harder times when we're going to face difficulty. And there could be various levels of struggle in the darkness. You can't see. You may already be exhausted just because it's the end of the day. Uh, You could get lost if you're not paying attention. So the wise virgins in the parable are prepared in two ways. They made use of the easier time, the day, to prepare for harder times, the night, by going and purchasing oil ahead of time when there weren't so many obstacles. And they realized that the wait could be long and they needed to stay awake, so they made sure they were rested ahead of time. There's a Roman proverb, if you want peace, prepare for war. That, I think, is a good way to think about our battle with sin. Most people, and I would say all of us, have some particular sin or one or two particular sins that are a very strong temptation. And usually, if we take stock, those temptations will tend to arise in similar environments or circumstances. A person is angry, or they're lonely, or it's late at night, or they're in a particular setting with a particular set of people, whatever it is. But when that circumstance is absent, the temptation to sin is not quite as strong then. So the risk in those easier moments 
would be to let our guard down, to fool ourselves into thinking that since we're not tempted right now, we really have learned self-control. We can handle ourselves in more difficult moments. So say someone has a particular difficulty with alcohol or, or with pornography or any sin against the Sixth Commandment, right? the things that I hear all the time in confession. Both of these are less likely to be temptations during the day. Right? Less likely, not always, but less likely. So thinking that they're strong enough, the same person then doesn't think twice about carrying their phone with them to bed at night or wherever the temptation is. Or they don't worry about responding to an invitation to join friends who are going out to drink that night because in the morning, the risk doesn't feel as extreme then. But instead, they should be making use of the time when they're less tempted to focus on preventing and overcoming the temptations when they are going to be tempted. The church will use the language of avoiding the near occasion of sin. So they can consider the circumstance where they're tempted and make intentional moves to try to avoid that temptation if possible. They can devote time to prayer specifically against that vice. They can make use of the sacraments, principally the sacrament of confession, and they can take on penances like fasting, which will strengthen your will and help you withstand temptation. At the same time, a person who is constantly battling the same sin over a period of time will have repeated falls. And those repeated failures are going to make a person feel defeated and exhausted and want to give up. We can compare those people with the drowsy virgins in the parable. For these, it's important to see that Christ will intentionally give us the parable this morning with a group of virgins, right? It's not just one. Because a strong community of people, particularly a strong community of friends, can be so helpful in encouraging us to overcome temptation, to keep up the fight, to push one another, to be prepared to do the things that we need to do to be spiritually stronger. So though the parable makes use of the image of virgins, I find that the image of mutual accountability is particularly useful to men. Scripture tells us that iron sharpens iron. So friends who are working together to live a moral life are some of the strongest resources we can ever have to trying to learn to live a life of virtue ourselves. When we are able to be fully honest with one or two other people that we trust immensely, those people will help to encourage us when we mess up. They'll pick us up, and at the same time, they're going to remind us to be careful when they see us steering off toward a dangerous decision. And obviously, this works for both men and women. It's, it's the model that most people are familiar with, with Alcoholics Anonymous, right, where there's mutual support without judgment, but with complete honesty and with accountability, and, and that last one is so important. So the biggest and most obvious message of the parable is to always be ready, because we never know when we're going to be tested. It's a good image for students who should be constantly studying a little bit every day, making sure they're getting enough rest at the same time, both so that they can comprehend what they're learning, but also so that they're prepared in case they're tested. But the same image applies to all of us. We don't know what obstacle we're going to face when you leave the church or tomorrow. It could be a temptation to sin. It could be just a question from a friend who's doubting the church or maybe is hoping to pull you into the same doubt. So there's no amount of preparation that we can ever do that would be too much. And I mentioned last week, the church has a time-tested method for building us up in the Christian life. We have to make ample use of the sacraments. We have to pray consistently. We have to study scripture. We have to learn to avoid the near occasion of sin. And 
we have to be willing to cut away those circumstances, those people, and those experiences which will lead us into sin. And all of these are good helps for us in overcoming temptation and living a life worthy of being called Christian. Now, the difficulties are never fully going to go away. There's a monk at St. Ben's that would joke with us about, you know, when does a man stop struggling with lust? And he would say about 20 minutes after they're in the ground. So it's never going to go away. So don't fool yourself into thinking this is not a problem anymore, right? And only a fool would use their repeated failures as an excuse to give up. We have to do what we're able to do now, when it's easier for us, so that we're prepared to meet the Lord when he comes. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.